and welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, listed in 2020 as number eight of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional. I am your host, Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert and author of Business Evolution, Creating Growth in a Rapidly Changing World. I created Scale Your Sales Framework to develop leading edge capabilities to secure, retain and grow key customer relationships for long-term value and partnership. Join me each week to learn from amazing B2B sales and business experts and influencers. Tune in for actionable insights and strategies. Are you ready to scale your sales? My next guest is known as Small Biz Lady. She she helps Fortune 500 companies effectively target and retain small business customers. As the CEO of Quintessential Group, she is America's number one small business expert. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Melinda Emerson. Thank you so much for having me, Janice. It's been a pleasure. I have been stalking this woman. Let me tell you guys here, stalking this woman for years, for years. So it's a real pleasure to have her on on the podcast because I know she's a woman in demand. (laughs) So thank you. Now, the first thing I want you to um, tell the listeners and and viewers is um, what's unique and different about what you do because you're the number one and we've been looking to you for advice for a long time so there must be something that you do that's uniquely different well I don't know that I'm terribly unique but I do know that I am mission driven and so it's like my occupation is also my advocation so it's not just about money for me it's really about serving the public and really helping people live their dream life as an entrepreneur. Because here's the deal. Most people know how to make their widget or do their service. What they don't know is how to run a business and how to run it successfully over time and make it sustainable. And so I put myself in charge of ending small business failure. And so every piece of content, every interview, every book, every ebook I write is really about helping people so that they can stay in business. And so that probably is what makes me different because I'm mission driven, but also I stay thirsty. You know, last year I graduated with my MBA from one of the top uh, business programs here in the United States. And that's because I don't feel like I have reached the plateau of all that I can learn. You know, I'm always trying to read, grow, take a webinar, do a class. Like I'm still sharpening my knife. And I think that the most successful business owners I know are lifelong learners. So I try to model that behavior. I I eat my own dog food. I'm not just out here telling you to read books. I read them too, you know, So, so that's it. And that's why you've been, you know, at the top of your tree, number one for for so long, setting that example, walking the walk and talking the talk. You're running a business, you're growing the business and, you you know, you're you're kind of see all the ebbs and flows and willing to share that with other people. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the one thing that I know for sure is my very first book, Become Your Own Boss in 12 Months. The reason why it was so successful, why it's still in print these, you know, 11, 12 years later is because I told the truth about a bunch of dumb stuff that I learned in business, you know, like all the expensive lessons I laid my soul bare, you know, and told people what happened. I think there's all these people that write these books after they're, you know, 20 years later, now they're successful and now they want to tell you the story. No, no. I told you the story when I had warts still, you know, when I was still a toad, you know, before I became a princess, right? You know, so I think that that's important. I think the authenticity of what I've been able to share um, really has resonated with a lot of people. I'm a professional single mom. I'm divorced. I have a child that's special needs. Those are also things that, you know, other people can relate to. And so I've always been very transparent about those things. And I think that that's also what has helped me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're certainly um, relatable. I, you know, as I say, I've been stalking this woman for, for years, so I love it. I absolutely love it. So thank you. So let me ask you, what's your view about the way B2B um, sales has shifted? Has it become customer-centric enough or is there more that we can do? Because I know that you talk a lot about this uh, uh, to business owners. Well, I think that all sales has become customer-centric, whether you're selling to consumers or selling B2B. I think the customer has all of the decision power, right? And so it's your job to help them and to really get to know your customers really well. I mean, it's almost like consultative selling on steroids, right? Like you really have to understand what's going on with your customer. You have to understand what their stresses and constraints are. I mean, beyond budget cycle and stuff like that, you got to understand how many cooks are going to get in on this buyer decision and how you can assist them and arm them with information to keep putting you out there as the best solution, right? So I think it's really important for us to understand that customers now have so much more information and they have so many options and they can check your price in front of your face with a cell phone, right? So you really you know, price better not be what you're competing on. You better be competing on some other element. You better be cheap. You know, you better be faster. You know, you got to be better. Um, you have to really provide a much better customer experience. I don't think it, we can't be just selling stuff to people. Um, we really have to think about the end user and the end user's experience. And I think if we focus on that, we'll all sell more. Mm. So what is your sweet spot? Is it working um, B to B or B to C, or is is it does it not matter? Well, you know, I'm kind of an interesting enigma when it comes to because I really literally have two businesses, right? So I have Quintessence Group, which is my marketing consulting firm, and we work with you know Fortune 500 brands, as you mentioned earlier, and we do all kinds of different things for them, but. I mean, part of the reason why my consulting business is so successful is because I have a brand that reaches 3 million entrepreneurs a week online. So I develop a ton of content, courses, tools, tips, books, podcast interviews for my small business audience. 
So I have, you know, Small Biz Lady Enterprises, you know, which is sort of like all of my online newsletters, my content, my blogs, all that kind of stuff, Small Biz Chat Live, the podcast, all of that stuff is like Small Biz Lady Enterprises. And then Quintessa's group is the other work I do. I'm also, you know, a national keynote speaker. So I travel all over the world, you know, teaching people how to start and grow successful businesses too. So I think I'm unique. I think most people do just one of those things. Um, so I, I think in my case, I always have to walk a fine line between am I having a small business lady enterprises conversation or am I having a consulting conversation? But the way we look at it as a company is that small business lady enterprises is the best legion in the world for Quintessa's group, right? So we don't have to spend any time explaining to people whether or not we can solve their problem, yeah. right? We spend time talking about availability and price. In budget. And that is a blessing because of how much time, work, effort, and money we've put into the brand. We've put into maintaining the brand and staying visible and trying to stay ahead of the game and coming up with new tools and things that really are innovative. And so that is a testament to the amazing team of people that I have behind me that help me run Small Biz Lady Enterprises and, you know, my consultants and my other team that help me, you know, do all this work that we do for corporations. Um, but it's been an incredible blessing. I've been in business for 22 years. Wow. I've been a small business lady for 13 years. So, yeah, you know, we I've been all the way down through it back again. <laughs> uh, you know, the blessing is, is that I don't look like what I've been through. Okay. Uh, but, yeah. Um, but but it's been an amazing ride like I love being an entrepreneur I love helping entrepreneurs win and I love helping my customers understand what small business owners go through like largely that's what they pay me for help us understand our customer no problem because I'm one of your customers I'm happy to tell you about your poor customer service or why your pricing is out of alignment or why that bundle offer doesn't make sense or why is it so hard to get credit on your website when I just want to establish an account well, you're going to charge me anyway every time I send something like what's going on with that you know so I'm really good um giving them their really good customer feedback because you know people with jobs have no idea what people that run businesses go through yeah. no idea and so it's amazing when I go in there I mean I've had the opportunity to speak to fortune 10 companies fortune 1000 companies and and a lot of times it's like tell us about our customer tell us what they need tell us what they're struggling with tell us how we can do better. And I'm always happy to have that conversation. It's, it's amazing that uh, businesses, that uh, customers that are business actually have very little idea. And I'm thinking of, you know, the banks uh, that provide services to other businesses have no idea. They no just... clue. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It is yeah. amazing the meetings I've been in and the questions that I have been asked and I've been like, wow. <laughs> Like, if you were just nicer to your customers, you probably would make more money. Yeah. Here's the thought. You if know. you just made it easy for your customers to do business with you, you probably right. make more money. Right, right. <laughs> just stop stop aggravating paying customers. Will you please stop doing that? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so tell me what practical strategy you would offer listeners to help them to enable buyers to buy, just as we've been talking about, and build long-term relationships. Well, for one, I think that customers want to have a easy way to pay, 
but they also want to have an easy way to get help when something goes wrong. And I think a lot of corporations mess up with this. You have to use a chat bot or you have to send us an email. You can't talk to a human to fix a problem. And I'm all for AI and chat bots. They are certainly saving a lot of time. And there's certainly a whole generation of people that prefer to interact that way. But sometimes there's a problem that that chat bot can't fix. And you still need to be able to reach a human. And I think that a lot of, especially the FinTech guys, they've gotten away from, as a cost cutting measure, not really having enough customer service people to interact with. And thus they really frustrate their customers. And so I really think that it, most people make it pretty frictionless to buy, but they don't make it frictionless when you got a problem or when you got a billing issue or what, like I, you know, I recently just had a ridiculous issue with a, a, a an app that we use and I couldn't, I was, for some reason, I wasn't able to log in to change my password, to change my credit card number. And then I called on the phone and I guess their main number is just their sales department and their sales department said, oh, you have to email billing to talk to someone. <laughs> okay. So I emailed billing and said, hey, having an issue when I hit re restart my password, no email comes to me. All I want to do is go in and change my password. And so literally two or three days go by, I'm still having the same problem. These people shut my website down. Like, like, like I, and I was like, okay, okay, wait. I have one of the largest small business websites on the internet. And you idiots, rather than somebody figuring out how to solve my problem, you let my website go down. Mm -hmm. yeah. You let my website go down. Well, I have 300,000 followers on Twitter. So you know what I did for them? I went out and got their attention on my Twitter account. Yeah. And you know what was amazing? It got fixed that same day. My site got back up in 30 minutes. Yeah. But why did I have, you know what I mean? I shouldn't have had to do all of that for a very, very, very simple billing issue because no one would talk to me on the phone. Yeah. And yeah. so that's the kind of stuff that large companies do that they you know, there's a trust gap between small businesses and large businesses. And it's time that large businesses understand small business owners don't trust you. And they don't trust you because of stuff like that, because mm -hmm. of stupid, simple, small stuff that you'd rather focus on the revenue than focus on servicing your customers. It's not like I call them all the time. I had one issue, like yeah. in three years, one issue. And that's how I got treated. Am I going to recommend their service to anybody? Uh-uh. The problem is, he's going to others that act in exactly the same way. Well, and that is the problem. They all act the same way. I mean, but again, this is the kind of stuff that when I get into meetings, I was like, well, let me, let me, let me yeah. tell y'all about this recent experience I had. Or let me tell you about how I told a small business owner to go to your website to sign up for an account. And they were turned down for credit on an account that they were going to have to pay every time they shipped anyway. Yeah. Like, why are you doing that? So. Some of those things <laughs> I've been able to point out and they're like, and all these people are like, oh, yeah. Why is that? Like, yeah, fix your yeah. website. Stop yeah. this, you know, yeah. stop aggravating people who want to give you money. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, what tried and tested strategy would you offer listeners? Now, I know that you, you kind of talked about, you know, there is a place for AI, but, you know, not too much. Tell me more about market automation. Or automization. 
Well, I do think that marketing automation is great. I think that when it comes to when you make it really clear and exhaustive, I think it can work. Um, but there always has to be the human element in there. I don't think you could turn your whole customer service organization into chatbots. I think you still got to have some live chat. You got to have some people, some humans. I think you still have to have a phone number that people call. And it can't be a phone number that's answered in India. Like people still hate that. Like, you know, so I think that you've got to figure out um, how you're going to provide authentic service to your customers. I think people have a lot more options. There's so much competition out there. So no one has the luxury of treating their customers badly, especially not startup businesses, because we all know that between zero and three years in business is when you really want to get a customer. Usually once a small business owner gets to four years in business, it's very difficult for them to change vendors unless they have a catastrophic customer service experience like the one I had recently. (laughs) You know, unless they have some like where they really get irritated. Yeah. Uh, but in a lot of cases, they will stay in bad relationships. But if you when you are the zero to three years in business and the business is over a million dollars in revenue, those are the ones you really got to watch because those people do. They got options and they got resources, so they will switch a vendor. Yeah. So I think that um, it's better for them to get into the practice of taking care of all of their customers making sure their pricing is fair and competitive and nobody minds paying more if they're getting great service so do you advocate that those uh you know the larger companies how do they get you know besides you coming in how do they make sure that they consistently innovate with the customer um pain points and the customer in mind how can they stay really close to the customer what are the strategies they need to do on a consistent basis to make sure the customer's always at the table in all of the decision making? Well, one of the things that I've seen some of the corporate partners that I have is they've established small business advisory boards of customers so that they can get that constant feedback from customers. I've also, you know, people seen, you know, senior managers make some of their senior staff do ride-alongs with their frontline um, sales reps so that they know they make the customer service people do a frontline, you know, calling on customers so that people can appreciate other departments. I also have seen corporations um, do voice of the employee exercises because a lot of times, um, you know, corporations will bring in outside consultants when they actually could have talked to the people that work most closely to their customers and they could have got that answer for free. You know, so I'm a big proponent of voice of the customer exercises, but also voice of the employee. Um, And when we go in and do those kind of exercises, I won't do them unless I can talk to everyone and I can talk to everyone without a chaperone because people are politically afraid of each other. So, you know, I don't want people to give me the sanitized answer. I want people to give me the real answer. So when I go into a corporation to do that kind of analysis for them, I'm like, look, I'm going to check out everything and I don't need a bodyguard. So if I can go around and talk to everybody I need to talk to, I'm going to do mystery shopping exercise. I'm going to call different sales departments around the country. I'm going to let you know if I get the same experience. I'm going to let you know if I even get the same looking proposal. How about that? You know, so, um, so different things people need to know about, you know, whether their customer service department is really about customer service or whether or not they treat their customers like they're bothering them. And I think that that's the stuff you got to stay on top of the sales and top of the customer service and certainly make sure fulfillment and shipping is doing what it's supposed to do. But 
there's a lot of stuff that can clothesline you with your customer relationships. And, but you have to, I think one of the biggest failures the large corporations have is just the follow-up after the sale. They don't mind selling you stuff, but then the person that sold you, you can't find them again. You don't know what's going on. No, that's not cool. You need to be able to reach somebody if you want something, or it's smart to just reach back to customers for the resale, the upsell, the, you know. Yeah. 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 So let's switch you up a little bit and tell me uh, a bit more about diversity and your view on whether, you know, the, the industry, the sales industry has evolved whether the um, service industry to black businesses and, you know, female businesses. Tell me about, you know, your view of diversity in business generally. Well, I think that um, people of color have always been able to get sales jobs. You know, we tend to be people, people and, you know, good at making sales. What I don't see is enough diversity in sales leadership inside organizations, sales managers, district managers, vice presidents of sales. You just don't see people of color and women getting as many of those roles. Um, I know my father for, was a sales rep for 30 years, actually, for Kraft Foods. And I can't tell you how many times he trained young salespeople who then got promoted up above him. And so you see a lot of that kind of stuff in sales organizations and people kind of like pushing people to the side or not thinking that people are management or leadership um, material, if you will. And that stuff is clearly unconscious bias and it needs to stop. And we need to get more intentional about diversifying the sales leadership, because guess what? Customers are now diversified. So people want to see people who look like them, people that they can relate to. So I think it's an issue across the board, certainly for people of color, but absolutely for women as well. So if you're a woman of color, imagine how you, uh, the opportunities that you've had probably have been a lot less. But you know, in sales, if you make your number, you can be a superstar. Um, but I think it's about being more intentional about sales leadership, sales training, even the vendors that are used for these things. I think that there's an opportunity for corporations to look for sales trainers of color and women in those roles so that they can make sure that even the people training are coming from different perspectives and they're not all getting one size fits all, you know, white male sales oriented training. Like that doesn't really work. Um, and certainly it's the same thing in the small business side. I mean, I think that one of the things that corporations need to do is look for small business vendors to do business with. I think that um, that would help them. And it certainly would help the small businesses that they work with. But if they're going to pick a small business to work with, they got to pay them on time. You know, no small business owner can afford to wait 90, 120 days for a check. That's ridiculous. So they just got to make sure that, um, you know, they understand the dynamics of working with a small business owner and seeing the value of that and that they understand, you know, we've got different constraints. We need our money. We need it net 30. That's how we need it. So um, I think all those things would do a lot to make the whole sales industry, frankly, act a little bit more humane. I think one of the things that that has always irritated me about sales, it's like, if you miss your sales number, you're a bad person. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, if you miss your sales number, you miss your sales number. But we always make it about wins and losses as opposed to 
Well, how many relationships did we build so that we can go back and make that bigger sale later? Sometimes, you know, in sales, sometimes sales cycles are six months. Sometimes they can be six years. You never know. I mean, I remember one time I worked on a Fortune 100 company for business for five years. And literally it wasn't until somebody left the company that I finally got an opportunity and I finally got a significant contract. But it took five years. I had to stay in touch. I had to keep showing up at their booth at trade shows. I mean, I had to be like uh, Relentless Aaron, which is a um, a client that I had years ago. And he was like the most aggressive salesperson I ever met. And I used to call him Relentless Aaron. And like, you have to be that way sometimes. You don't want to be a pest. You don't want to be a nuisance. But you want to remind people that you're still here and that you're active. And so I think that is definitely a strategy. But you know, you got to do what you got to do and look at the wins that you did have and not just, oh, my number was five and I made four. So I'm, I'm awful. I'm terrible. And we got to stop having sales leaders treat people like that, like they're terrible because they didn't make their number, you know. And it's not very customer centric. You know, the, the, the quota system is all very internally focused and actually it needs to be externally focused. Does this meet with the buyer's um, time frame. Are they ready? They're exactly. not ready to suit you. So it's a, it's kind of a really ridiculous dichotomy. It is because B2B selling is never going to be an impulse buy, right? They're going to kick the tires. They're going to get some information. You will have some meetings. You might have to do three pitch meetings before you finally get the right decision makers in the room. And mm -hmm. so some of that stuff you've got to take into account. And then as a sales manager, you should always think about what did I do to help my salesperson be successful? Did they need more help? Did I should, you know, do they need a little bit more training or did they just need another body in the room to show that they had a force behind them? You know, there's all kinds of different reasons why sales don't close. And so the first thing a sales manager should do is look at themselves. Mm. How did you set your people up to win? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so let me ask you, who is your hero or shero? Oh, that's an easy one. My shero is my mom. She <laughs> was is literally one of the most amazing people I have ever met. Um, she was, a well, first of all, I have, there are four of us. I'm the oldest. I have three younger brothers. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom until I was 10. Um, and then she went into the workforce and, you know, built a career for herself and literally got her MBA when she was 52 years old. Wow. And while in the middle of planning, like my huge wedding, you know, so <laughs> she she's one of these people that she she made every prom dress I ever wore. Uh, you know, when the garbage disposal break, my mom would fix it. You know, the garbage, the, the lawnmower break, mommy would fix it. You know, so my father, he always called himself the engineer. So he would call somebody and handle it. <laughs> <laughs> My mom would be down there taking the thing apart and putting it back together, you know, so um, she's just really a lovely person and, and a kind person. And that's the thing that my mom taught me how to be kind. She taught me to care for others. And she taught me to lead with my intelligence and not just my beauty. She always used to say, beauty is a bonus, you know, be yeah, smart yeah. Yeah, first. Yeah. Um, and, you know, pretty is a bonus. So. Um, I, I love her dearly and grateful that she's still with us and in my life and helping me as, you know, Jojo's mom, mom, you know, so it's funny because she acts completely different than the person that raised me, but 
uh, you know, I think grandmas take a license to do stuff like that. <laughs> they do. <laughs> okay, well, how can listeners get hold of you? Oh, I'm easy to find. I am small biz lady online. Um, certainly, if you want to check out my tools and tips, you can head over to my resource blog, which is succeedasyourownboss.com. I also have an online school where I train people who want to be successful in business. So go to smallbizladyuniversity.com and you can find out everything you want about me and about how I teach people to be successful in business. Excellent. I'll put all of that in the show notes. But thank you so much for being a guest on Scale Yourselves podcast, Melinda Emerson, Small Biz Lady. (laughs) Thank you so much, Janice. It's been such a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Scale Your Sales. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Janice B. Gordon, to comment and share. I'd love it if you would leave a review on ratethispodcast.com slash scale your sales. Please subscribe for more weekly expert insights to scale your sales.